I'm sure a lot of you guys noticed the title of the video, something to do with Stephen Hassan's new book. So let me give you a little bit of a primer into his new book. We'll talk about it, and then we'll read an article about it. His new book, I believe it was called The Cult of Trump, A Leading Cult Expert Explains How the President Uses Mind Control. A lot of you probably know Stephen Hassan, because I've talked about his stuff for like a really long time. I talk about his stuff a lot. I use his... Uh, I use his bite model to break down different cults and talk about how they operate and how they keep people controlled and how they gain new members and how they keep the old ones from leaving, things like that. I've been talking about him for like a really long time, like my whole career practically, and the work that he's done with the influence continuum and the bite model and everything else. So he recently came out with a new book called The Cult of Trump, and I gave it a read. I think it released like two weeks ago or something like that. I'm about 80% of the way through now. Really fascinating book, honestly. Extremely fascinating book. It's basically a breakdown, step-by-step, of how Trump acts as a leader in this de facto cult of personality. And he even compares a lot of it to the bite model. Trump is just one person, and his intent and stated goal is not to create and maintain a cult, obviously. Like with Jehovah's Witnesses, their stated goal is not to create and maintain a cult. But through the tactics that they use, that's the end result. That's what's happening. And it's the same with Trump. He's using all the same methods that cults use to keep people pulled in. Now, things were a little bit different, say, 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago with cults, because the internet didn't even exist, or at the very least, it was a shell of what it is now. So now, with the advent of the internet, with the growth of the internet, cults have changed over time a lot. You have online cults now, which is a really unique, interesting thing. There was a time when cults were largely confined to local areas and very private and would only talk in person many a lot of the time, that's totally different now. Like, they could control the flow of, of information physically back then, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Because, if, you know, if you don't have a copy of the New York Times in your hands, then you're not going to see what the New York Times said. But... The internet has changed everything, including the way cults operate, the way they have to operate, the way they had to adapt, and the new ways that cults have to indoctrinate people. So, for example, you've got Teal Swan, which I would most definitely consider a cult. But it's an online cult. It doesn't really have a physical pre- uh, presence, exactly. They do have, like, getaways and retreats and things like that. But at the end of the day... The people don't go to a church every day like they would with Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. So it's, it's very different. It's very, very different now. And Stephen Hassan calling Trump a cult leader, basically, is what he did, is kind of controversial, but it's something that I completely agree with. And he lays out his case in the book. I followed him through it. I completely agree. So this is the bite model. A lot of you guys probably recognize it. Because like I said, I talk about the bite model fairly frequently on my channel. You got behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. 
You got things like modifying behavior with rewards and punishments, dictate where and with whom you live, deprive you of seven to nine hours of sleep, exploit you financially. Those are the things under behavior control. I have a scaling system, you could call it. It goes on the Fibonacci sequence. I grade each of these points on a Fibonacci scale. One, two, three, five, eight, 13, or 21 is, are the scores that they get under my grading system for each of these points. So obviously, Trump doesn't regulate what and how much people eat and drink. Obviously, he doesn't deprive his people of seven to nine hours of sleep, things like that. But there are a lot of really key, important points on this list that Trump does meet. So for example, instill black and white, us versus them, good versus evil thinking, he hits that point with flying colors. Reject rational analysis, critical thinking, and doubt, he completely does that. Deliberately withhold and distort information, yes. Gaslight to make you doubt your own memory. Trump does that. Divide information into insider versus outsider doctrine. Discourage access to non-cult sources of information. Instill irrational fears or phobias of questioning or leaving the group. Teach emotion-stopping techniques to prevent anger or homesickness. Promote feelings of guilt, shame, and unworthiness. Shower you with praise and attention or love bomb you. That kind of thing. There are a lot of things that Trump does that actually really that meet the markers on this. And I'm not just like, I, I know that this sounds kind of silly to some people, but it's not. It's 100% legit. Cults of personality exist. I mean, think about L. Ron Hubbard. He was just one guy, the creator of Scientology. He's just one guy who got really, really popular with a lot of people and had a lot of really bad ideas that caught on with a lot of people. And as a result, you've got an entirely new religion. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Trump. It probably won't. Yeah, I don't, honestly, I don't think that he's smart enough to really create a religion, quote unquote. But religions and cults are two different things, and that's something that we all need to understand. Cults don't have to be religions. Religions don't have to be cults. So, anyway, I figured we'd give this article a read that I had and see what it has to say. This was actually written by Stephen Hassan. It's on the Daily Beast. On the afternoon of November 18, 1978, Jim Jones called his followers to the central pavilion of Jonestown, a sprawling outpost in the jungles of Guyana, and ordered them to drink a lethal mixture of cyanide and fruit punch. Actually, it was Flavor-Aid. Over 900 people perished that day, more than a third of them children. As he lay dying of a bullet wound to the head, a less painful way to go than cyanide, and one that he probably orchestrated, Jones told his followers that it was all the media's fault. Don't believe them. Those words, uttered so long ago, sound disturbingly familiar as we approach the 41st anniversary of Jonestown. We have a president who regularly disparages and blames the media, calling it fake, false, and phony, and who calls journalists enemies of the people, epithets that seem especially frenzied in the wake of the whistleblower complaint and the launching of the House impeachment inquiry. It might seem an outrageous proposition to compare Donald Trump to a murderous cult leader, and yet there are alarming parallels. Like Jones and other cult leaders, Trump exhibits features of what psychologist Eric Fromm called malignant narcissism, bombastic grandiosity, bottomless need for praise, lack of empathy, pathological lying, apparent sadism, and paranoia. In short, he fits the stereotypical psychological profile of a cult leader. 100% agree with that assessment. 
like I said, this is on the Daily Beast. It was written by Stephen Hassan. Uh, dude's a really good writer. It kind of pulls you in, the writing does. I have seen that profile up close. Over 40 years ago, while a junior in college, I was recruited into a destructive mind control cult, the Unification Church, popularly known as the Moonies after its leader, Sun Myung Moon. I rose rapidly through the ranks and was invited to attend meetings with Moon and his top aides, where we knelt and bowed to our leader, Moon. Two years later, after three days straight of leading a fundraising team, selling flowers on street corners, I fell asleep at the wheel and woke up as I plowed into the back of an 18-wheeler. Fortunately, I survived. My family hired deprogrammers, and after five days, I realized I had been brainwashed. Stephen Hassan actually details this story in his book, Combating Cult Mind Control. He talks about his whole trip from being a normal guy in college to being a member of a cult. It's actually very fascinating. That book is really, really good. It's top tier. You guys should read that book if you haven't. But anyways, it's a really fascinating story, and it looks like he's detailing it uh, a little bit here. The point behind the entire thing, behind the, the entire article, behind the book, is that cults of personality exist, and they are equally as damaging, in fact, more damaging sometimes, than traditional standard cults that we would all recognize. You guys should most definitely give that book a read because it's worth the read. Like I said, I'm about 80% through now. I'm planning on going back through it again pretty soon, but yeah, good book, definitely worth the read. So give it a shot. This first one coming from Glenn. Question for Tell. What do you think of the most recent Professor Stick video about YouTube? I actually saw that. Professor Stick is disillusioned, basically, with... Uh, maybe that's not the right word for it. Anyway, he's he's really unhappy with YouTube right now, understandably so. I am too, honestly. He's right. Um, the reason that I watch my language on my YouTube channel is not has very little to do with monetization. I could take the occasional demonetized video. That would be okay with me. I understand the need for certain videos to be demonetized, to make sure advertisers stick around. I get that. I have a really, really big problem with the fact that they're slowly and quietly making channels disappear. They just stop recommending it. They just stop recommending your channel or your videos to anybody. And I've even tested that. I have tested it extensively. I've had it proven to myself beyond a shadow of a doubt. They've, and obviously Professor Stick has too. They're trying to make channels disappear that they don't like. And it's not necessarily a targeted thing. It's not like, oh, YouTube hates me, or oh, YouTube hates Professor Stick and they want to see us go. It's not like that. It's like if we talk about a subject that YouTube doesn't want talked about, for example, Flat Earth, YouTube will just not show that video to anybody. And if you have enough videos about a subject that... YouTube doesn't want spread around, they will give your channel an M rating. Like, just the whole channel will get an M rating, which is basically like an R in movie terms. That's what I've been dealing with. My channel has an M rating, I suspect. This is not public, though. They don't tell you what your channel is, what your rating is, or what your individual, individual videos are. Professor Stick almost certainly has an M rating. It's hard to tell. But at any rate, it's really sucky. Like, 
People have quit their careers for this. I quit my career for this. And YouTube is just making my presence disappear. I wish I had more mainstream reach than I do, like outside of YouTube, but mainstream reach is actually really difficult to get. It's not easy. Anyway, what, what can you do? Just gonna keep on keeping on, just keep doing what I do. Professor Stick said he's gonna keep on doing what he does, and honestly, we're not the only two that have been dealing with it. YouTube has been doing something lately that's really fucked a lot of people over. And there's going to come a time when they're losing lots of really, really good, solid creators. There will come a time when there are just not any more good, solid creators. There are not very many good creators left from before. Everybody who's been here for five years is getting sick of what YouTube's doing and they're moving on to different things. And we as creators have sufficiently convinced people to not get on YouTube and try to start it up. Like anytime somebody comes up to me and says, hey, been thinking about starting a YouTube channel, should I do it? What do you think I'm gonna tell them? What do you think all these other creators that are fucking sick of YouTube are gonna tell them? It's a waste of fucking time because YouTube is fucking everybody over. So there's gonna come a time when YouTube doesn't have anybody left who's worth anything or not enough people worth something on their platform. Meanwhile, they're promoting mainstream news outlets like CNN. CNN's YouTube channel is just growing and growing and growing. As if I can't get CNN elsewhere, why the fuck would I come to YouTube for CNN? Like YouTube is not where I come to for mainstream media sources. I come here for independent con uh, content creators. Independent content creators. Not for CNN. So anyway, I feel Professor Stick. I'm in his same position, but I'm still doing what I gotta do. Still here. And I'm gonna continue to do what I have to do. I just wish that I had another platform that I could use to communicate my message in addition to YouTube. Who knows, maybe TikTok or something. This one coming from Beep Emily. How do you feel about how in Russia they are limiting slash prohibiting propaganda and the promotion of JW? Do you feel it's good because this allows the cult to spread further or should they be allowed to share their message? It's not just about them being allowed to sh share their message. As far as I'm aware, they stopped sharing their message a while ago. It's, they're not even trying to do that. They're just trying to consume the message themselves. They have the watchtowers and awakes that they get just to keep for themselves and read. That's it. And they're being arrested for possessing these things. It's honestly not good. Um, it's a human rights violation. You have the right to practice your religion or believe your religion. You, at the very least, have the right to believe your religion. Very minimum. Jehovah's Witnesses are actually, have been subjected to torture uh, in the past year or so. They have been arrested and imprisoned. I understand that people have been hurt by this cult. I have too, obviously. But it's not a good, honest, solid reason to imprison people. And, and it doesn't help. It just fuels this persecution complex that they have. They're just convinced that they're going to be imprisoned in, in everything in the times of the end. And look, they are. They are being imprisoned now. What do you think that says? 
What what message do you think is being sent to these people now? That the time is even closer than ever. It's just it's locking them in deeper. It's helping them. Uh, this one from Stephen Wilson. I really enjoyed the Jedi cult video. Do you plan on doing something like that on a more regular basis? Maybe like once a month, a video on a game movie related religion. It's a good question. Maybe I should, but honestly, I'm not that into like media stuff. Not that into gaming, not that into movies, things like that. I, I mean, I've been watching Star Wars since I was a little kid. I've been watching Star Wars since I was like eight years old at, at the latest. I mean, I've, I've been watching Star Wars since before episode one came out. I remember going to the movie theater and watching episode one for the first time. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then I walked out of it and my dad and brothers just talked mad shit about it for like the entire car ride home. And I was like, I thought it was good. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Uh, then I, I got this just insurmountable hate for the movie because my dad and my brothers hated the movie too. And anyway, I don't know. It was stupid, but I don't watch that much stuff. That's my issue. I, I've just been watching Star Wars for so long that I knew I could literally quote the movies. So I, I just knew a lot about it. And that's why I was capable of doing a video like that. I feel like it's something you need to be really aware of and, and understand really well to talk about it. Any cult, really. Yeah, I have to understand Jehovah's Witnesses inside and out to talk about how it operates and what they do to their members and things like that. That's why a lot of the time I try to get people on to talk about their cults or I'll talk to them about their cults. I mean, I did that with the Seventh-day Adventists, did that with the Catholicism video, things like that. So uh, this one also from Stephen Wilson. Out of curiosity, how cohesive is the atheist community on YouTube? I would say... We all know each other, but we don't all work together. A lot of us actually have very, very different beliefs. But one thing that we can all agree on, basically all the big players in the atheist community, we can all agree that extremism is bad and that we've, we have recognized extremism in the atheist community and we have separated ourselves from it largely. For example... Um, there are some merits behind the quote-unquote SJW position. Lots of merits. Trans rights are important. Gay rights are important. Women's rights are important. Seriously. This is, th these are serious issues that need to be addressed, need to be talked about. Bottom line. And there are some extremists out there who have come to the conclusion that gay rights have gone too far. I mean, atheist fucking atheist YouTubers talking about how they weren't going to vote for the gay rights bill because SJWs have gone too far or some nonsense. You're, you're shutting down human rights to spite somebody. Do you realize how ridiculous that is? Like, that's so ridiculous. It's a joke. So that's the old atheist community from 2014, 2015, 2016, right? And they all have 500,000 to a million subscribers now, and they're off talking about other shit now. They're not even really YouTube atheists anymore.
2016, 2017, through to now, a new atheist community formed on YouTube. And we recognized that the anti-SJWs from before are extremists. We realize that gay rights are valid and extremely important and should be fought for. We recognize that feminism is important and should be fought for. But we also recognize that there are extremists on the other side. And it's, it's important to realize that there is a middle ground and being a moderate is preferable to being an extremist. So most of us are on the same page with that. Uh, for example, Mr. Atheist and I are probably a little bit closer to the SJW side than some others, but we're super pro-gay rights, super pro-women's rights, pro-trans rights, the whole nine yards. You be who you are, and I will support you in that endeavor. That's, that's how it is. But there are some others who are still moderate, St still not anti-SJWs, but a little bit further in that direction than I am, for example. So it, you could say it's very, very cohesive in the sense that we, none of us are extremists. We recognize that extremism is a bad thing. Um, but we're, we're all close enough to each other in feelings and ideals and beliefs that for the most part we'll work with each other. I'll, I'll work with just about anybody as long as you are not fear-mongering about feminism or some stupid shit like that. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're fairly cohesive. I mean, we're all friends. We're colleagues. We talk. None of us are extreme about anything. None of us are SJWs or anti-SJWs. Uh, some of us self-identify as, as SJWs, actually, but we're not trying to burn people to the ground. We're super chill, and we all understand that you know, uh, we are, are all on the same page about certain rights. So uh, let me read some of these super chats, actually. I got one in the very beginning. Evan uh, Inge, I think. Evan Inge. Thank you so much for everything you do. I have a question. What can all of us do in our day-to-day -day lives to fight cults? Uh, definitely read about cults, I would say, to start with. Um, learn how to interact with cult members. Actually, learn how to interact with anybody who has a belief system that's different than yours. Learn about street epistemology, I would say. Uh, talk. Go to Anthony Magnabosco's YouTube channel, Cordial Curiosity's YouTube channel. It's extremely fascinating, and you should definitely check them out, because they are teaching people, specifically Anthony Magnabosco's teaching people about how to interact with cult members, or religious people more generally. We have little faith. It's too early to have your Christmas decorations up, Telly. At least wait until after Halloween. No. I have my Christmas tree right there, and I absolutely love Christmas. I can't... I, I just... I'm so glad to have that tree up. You should have seen my face when I was putting it up. I was just losing it. I just love Christmas so much. I like Halloween, too, though, honestly. Halloween's pretty great, too. All of it's great. I just love holidays now. Like, I couldn't celebrate them my entire life growing up, and now I can, and I just go all out. We have little faith again. It was Flavor Aid. Yeah, it was. It was Flavor Aid. Um, it it wasn't like Kool Aid. That's a common misconception. Jonestown drank Flavor Aid, not Kool Aid. So just wanted to set the record straight. Logan Newman, have you or are you going to play The Outer Worlds? Never heard of it before. Actually, I can't speak to it. Unfortunately, 
Uh, this one from the Glenoir, uh, asked Telltale, how familiar is he with Shelley Miscavige? From my understanding, Shelley Miscavige is David Miscavige's wife, and David Miscavige runs the Church of Scientology now. Like, after L. Ron Hubbard died, David Miscavige took it over. There was a power struggle, and he won, pretty much. I think that Leah Remini was asking where she went, what happened to her, because she just disappeared off the face of the earth. This woman just disappeared. Nobody heard from her. Her friends didn't hear from her. Like, she just she stopped going places. They thought that he killed her. Apparently, from my understanding, she has made a couple of low-key public appearances recently to show that she's alive and then gone back into hiding pretty much. But, yeah, she's... I don't know. It's it's really really concerning and I just feel for I feel for her. I don't know what's happened to her. I don't know why she's in hiding and everything like this, but it's scary. Uh one more super chat from Evan Inge. I guess I got the name right. He says you got my name right. Thank you. I'm glad that I well, I'm just glad that I got the name right. That's really good. So I found this thing on Reddit. It's Letter to Jehovah's Witnesses, and I thought it was super fascinating. This was written by a small-town humanist organization, apparently. Small-town humanist org. And it, it was a really, really well-written letter, so let's give it a read, see what it has to say. Dear Jehovah's Witnesses, please know that we love each and every one of you, and we want to help you because we care. Contrary to what the governing body has been telling you for years— a person that leaves the organization does not automatically become mentally diseased, quote-unquote, just because they left. It is absolutely possible for a person to simply come to logical enlightenment, to have a change of heart, and no longer wish to be associated with it. Unless you are born in, then this is exactly what you did when you became a witness, leaving your former faith. Please be a little forgiving and understanding when you encounter the activism of a former witness. Consider what emotions you would have if the religion that you left to become a witness marked you as mentally diseased publicly to everyone that you knew, causing you to lose every single friend and family member for simply leaving to be a witness. Remember, if Jehovah's Witnesses are indeed God's chosen people and the sole possessors of the only truth existing on the planet, then I'm sure you would agree that a few written words or a video critique would be no match for the strength of God's spirit to protect his people from being swayed. Evolve from within, never stop learning. The small-town humanist. Could not agree with that more. Let me just read this, this centerpiece here one more time. It says, Consider what emotions you'd have if the religion that you left to become a witness marked you as mentally diseased publicly to everyone you knew, causing you to lose every single friend and family member for simply leaving to be a witness. Jehovah's Witnesses actually wrote... Uh, an article in one of their watchtowers a while back about leaving a religion and how people lost family members over leaving their old Baptist faith to become a witness or whatever, and how wrong that was for them to lose these family members over this. I mean, no, they literally said this, no one should be forced to choose between family and religion. They said that in a Watchtower article, or in a, in a Wake article, maybe. I don't remember which one it was. I think Watchtower. Anyway, it was ridiculous. And I actually said that to my mom. Like, I quoted that to her. I said, look, the Watchtower right here says, nobody should be forced to choose between religion and family. 
And she was like, oh, you're taking that out of context. Of course. She said, it was talking about people who leave Baptists or Methodists or Catholics to become Jehovah's Witnesses, not people who leave Jehovah's Witnesses to become, well, obviously, obviously that's what it was saying. Are you not seeing the issue here? Are you not connecting the dots? Do you not see like the, the ridiculousness of what you're saying right now? Like it, it just does not connect with people. Sometimes it's really frustrating. But like I was saying earlier, it's extremely important to learn how to talk to cult members. If you talk to them in a certain way, you're going to shut them down. You're going to throw up their defense mechanisms. You're going to lock them into their position even deeper. You have to know what to say and how to say it, most importantly, to prevent their defense mechanisms from going up, to prevent that wall, that guard from going up. I d I've done a couple of videos on it, how to deprogram a religious extremist, parts one and two, I believe. But my main method really is street epistemology. It's so important. The, the whole key behind it is preventing them from shutting down and preventing them for preventing the backfire effect is what it is. The, the backfire effect is what happens when you basically you're, you're yelling at somebody about something that's true. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses will or ex-Jehovah's Witnesses will walk into a kingdom hall and they'll start screaming about child abuse and just all of this other stuff and the uh, Australian Royal Commission and everything. Granted, that's got to feel good. I, I can't imagine how good that feels. But you have to understand that when you do that, they cover their ears and put their faces in their laps and shut down. That is the backfire effect. They are no longer listening to what you have to say. They are done. They are checked out. And it's honestly, with cult members, it's easy to do. It's easy to make them check out with the things that you say. It's hard to not have them check out. The key is to prevent that from happening. And if you want to reach somebody, if you want to get them out of a religion or out of an extremist cult, you have to learn how to talk to them in such a way that you're not going to shut them down. Watch Anthony Magnabosco's videos. He does this whole thing called street epistemology. And it's this method of approaching conversations, this method of, uh, of approaching people, of cult members or even religious people, that is extremely non-confrontational and will prevent them from shutting down. Sometimes they do anyways, but it'll put that seed in there. It'll, it'll make them think a little bit. Establish the belief, ask them what they believe. You want to make sure you're all on the same page. Somebody can say, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they are against blood transfusions or that they are accepting of the, you know, the child abuse situation with the governing body and everything. They can say they're a Mormon. That doesn't necessarily mean that they believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Not everybody, not literally 100% of people in those denominations believe those things. There are some people who are on the outskirts or maybe even on their way out. You have to establish the foundation. What do they believe? How do they personally feel? Not what the religion believes. What do they think? So you start out with the what. You ask them why they believe it. Figure out what methodology they used. And then you, you ask them how we can verify that that is correct or that that is a good way of coming to that conclusion. 
So it's what, why, and how. Those are the three keys to the system. So anyway, like I said, Anthony Magnabosco, I have a couple of videos on it too, so give those a watch. This article is by The Friendly Atheist, and a lot of you guys probably know him, Hemant Mehta. I read from his blog fairly often. This one is actually by him. Religious conservatives lash out at Kellogg's over anti-Christian cereal. So let's, let's read this and see what it has to say. Kellogg's recently announced that it would be selling six of its most popular cereals in one box for a promotion called All Together, quote-unquote, while making a $50,000 donation to support anti-bullying and advocacy causes on behalf of Glad Spirit Day. That's G-L-A-A-D. So if you're the sort of person who loves Frosted Flakes and Frosted Mini-Wheats, what is wrong with you? Then you're in luck. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't like either of those things. They're terrible. We all belong together. So for the first time in history, our famous mascots and cereals are offered exclusively together in the same box for all together cereal. It's a symbol of acceptance no matter how you look, where you're from, or who you love. That's a good message. I can respect the hell out of that. This is Hemant Mehta speaking again. Sure, I mean, they're just selling you six boxes of cereal, at least two of which no real human should ever want. That's very true. They're terrible. But if it's for a good cause, I'll suck it up and have some raisin bran. If you're cynical, you just shrug this off as, corporate, as a corporate attempt to sell you something in the name of a good cause. But it's also a good sign when large companies throw their support behind groups like GLAD. No wonder conservative Christians are furious. The three moms at One Million Moms, Twitter account 3,759, have already launched a protest. Oh my God. They, are, they launched a protest. Okay. Kellogg's has supported the homosexual community for a long time, and now it's obvious they're going after our children. This is ridiculous, man. Kellogg's goal is to normalize the LGBTQ lifestyle by using cereal mascots to brainwash children. Okay. The company is also donating $50,000 to GLAD to support its anti-bullying and LGBTQ advocacy work. Okay, first of all, let me just mention there is a difference between mind control and brainwashing. They are not brainwashing. Th that's a joke to call that brainwashing. It's a joke. These people seriously think Tony the Tiger will make you gay. Creationist Ken Ham also chimed in since he wasn't busy updating his exhibits. By the way, for those of you who may not know, Ken Ham is the owner, I think, of the Ark Encounter in Kentucky and also the Creation Museum. He says, we are not all together as the LGBTQ lifestyle worldview is anti-God, anti-biblical, anti-science, and consists of only a small minority in the culture. But many will altogether not support such in-your-face anti-Christian marketing. Okay, that's really weirdly worded, and I feel like he was missing a couple of commas in there that made that more confusing, but whatever. It's Ken Ham. I can't expect much from the guy. It goes on to say, imagine seeing a cereal box and thinking it's a form of Christian persecution. Imagine how flimsy your worldview must be when a smiling sun threatens everything you stand for. Imagine being a creationist and calling other people anti-science. No wonder Ken Ham looks so angry all the time. Anyway, buy the cereal or don't, but revel in the fact that some Christians are whining because a cereal company said people should be kind to one another. They could easily be mad about the amount of sugar in this stuff, but they've chosen to attack the message of acceptance and inclusion instead. Well said. 100% agree with that. The interesting thing about Kellogg is um, the guy, I, I forget his first name, but his last name was Kellogg, like when this company first started. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. He was one of the people who popularized 
uh, circumcision in the U.S. Everybody seems to think it was like a religious thing or a sanitary thing or whatever. It's complete BS. Not true at all. Fabricated. It's made up. Kellogg was trying to prevent people from touching themselves. That was his goal behind starting the circumcision thing. Before circumcision took root, you know what he was doing? He was tying metal wires through people's dicks. So every time like they got interested or excited or whatever, it would tear through skin. And that was an incentive to not get interested in anything. He made cornflakes so bland because he wanted to kill people's libido. He wanted to kill people's sex drive. That was the goal behind cornflakes. You, got, you should really seriously read about this guy. Read about Kellogg. He was an extremist as far as... That, that does not get more extreme than this guy. He was a nutcase. And he was doing everything that he could to make people not be interested in sex anymore. So it, it's actually really messed up. And it's kind of funny now that Kellogg is coming out in support of inclusion and equality. I'm glad, 100%. I'm so glad to see that. You know, maybe they, maybe the company is just quote unquote pandering, trying to, you know, get more sales or whatever. But honestly, I don't care. As long as the company's out there spreading a good, honest message, that's fine with me. Pander away. If they believed something else, then they'd be spreading that. If they were against gay marriage, they would be spreading that message instead. So Kellogg, obviously, as a company or the leadership of Kellogg, is for that message. I, I'm really, really glad to hear that Kellogg is doing this. Um, makes me pretty happy. Got another super chat from We of Little Faith. This is hilarious given the origin of Kellogg's. Yes, exactly. It's, it is very funny. I'll tell you what, that's where I'm going to end the podcast for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I'm trying to make a shirt design for every cult I've covered. I haven't gotten every one, but I'm working on it. So check it out and see if your cult is up there. Second, you can support me by checking out my game shop. I sell controller, cartridge, and game box stands for every system from the original Nintendo and Sega Game Gear to the Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So give that a look too. And finally, if you want to support me in some way other than monetarily, you can check out my other YouTube channels. I have a retro game channel where I answer questions like, why does Shy Guy have a mask? And why are CRT TVs the best way to play retro games? I also have the podcast where I talk about stuff I don't feel I can say on a monetized channel. And finally, I have my main channel, where I talk about cults. I wish I didn't have to worry about dancing around subjects carefully in the first place, but I chose to do this as a full-time job, so unfortunately, I rely on YouTube's AdSense and on the support of patrons to continue doing the work I do. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.